Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about when Egypt no longer remembered Joseph and how that still impacts us even today. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Hi, I'd like to welcome you again as we continue in our study in the book of Exodus, and we're in Exodus chapter 1. Let's pray before we begin. Father, again, we present ourselves before you. Lord, you are the matchless one. You are the one that we love. And Lord, you've told us that in this adventure called life, in this journey on earth, that we are, Lord, to learn from you. We are to learn, Lord, from the examples that you have handed down to us in this wonderful book. And as we come, Lord, to the book of Exodus, we pray that we might learn from God, from the examples that you have written down for us to teach us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So please follow along here as I read now in Exodus chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. And Joseph died and all his brethren and all that generation, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. Now, in our last study, we looked at what it meant for poor Jacob to enter into Egypt with his poor family. He entered into a land which he saw before his eyes when the rain started again, became a rich, fertile country. Food was given to him from off the land after the rains came, and before the rains during the famine, as it continued to last, food was provided to him by Joseph. He was their savior, Joseph was. We looked at what it meant for the family when the words of verse 6 came. Joseph died, and we saw how Joseph died, but God didn't die. And that was emphasized to us in verse 6 and verse 7 as we read it together, because when you look at it together, it says, And Joseph died, unless you should think that that was the end. We keep reading. And Joseph died, and all his brethren in that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. And as we saw in our last study, it was so easy for them to have latched onto and over-relied on Joseph, or anyone for that matter, other than God. And that we saw how that's the tendency of our hearts as well. And when we put these verses together, they show us the truth of a great hymn, Jesus Engrave It on My Heart. It so perfectly expresses what we need to learn through life. Jesus Engrave It on my heart, that thou the one thing needful art. I could from all things parted be, but never 
never Lord from thee. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus, engrave it on my heart that thou the one thing needful art. I could from all things parted be, but never, never, Lord, from thee. Put this song into the context of the Exodus here. I could from Joseph parted be, but never, never, Lord, from thee. But verse 6 tells us that they were parted from Joseph when he died. And immediately after the verse, we learn that there was a great blessing on the people and they became fruitful over the years or hundreds of years, and they were increasing abundantly, and they multiplied, and they became the nation of the millions. And that's what we have today. The Jewish people is a nation of millions. It says there that in Egypt the land was filled with them. Why? It was never about Joseph. It was never all about Joseph. It was always, and it always will be, all about God. And in our lives, it's never about this person or that person. It has been, it always will be, all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we read in verse 8 that a new king, as it says, a new king. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Knew not Joseph. That's the description of this king here. He is a king that the Bible says is one that can be characterized by those words, he didn't know Joseph. That was the most important thing we need to know about this king. He was a king that didn't know Joseph. Now, how could that be? How in the world could there be a king that knew not Joseph? How's that possible? Joseph was the most important prime minister that Egypt ever had. Apart from Joseph, there never was in Egypt a pharaoh that had such a troubling dream that involved the potential destruction of the whole land of Egypt, and none of Pharaoh's magicians were able to interpret the dream apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a person in Egypt taken from prison who accurately interpreted Pharaoh's all-important dream, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a person in Egypt taken from prison and then advanced to be the prime minister, the second most powerful man in Egypt, which was the most powerful country in the world at that time, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a non-Egyptian with so much power that he was second only to Pharaoh, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister who Pharaoh proclaimed to be, quoting from Genesis 41:40, thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister who Pharaoh said in Genesis 41, 40, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister who it says in Genesis 41, 42, that Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister who Pharaoh assigned to all the Egyptians to bow down to because he put criers in front of Joseph's chariot that yelled out, quote, bow the knee. 
Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister that Pharaoh said the words that we find in Genesis 41, 44, without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister who over a seven-year period built many expansive storehouses over every region in Egypt and orchestrated over those seven years the most massive food storage campaign for Pharaoh that Egypt has ever known, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there was never a prime minister who saved the country from starvation for seven years by selling the food that he had amassed during the previous seven years, apart from Joseph. There was never a ruler in Egypt who purchased for Pharaoh, with the food he had stored, all the land of Egypt, all the cattle in Egypt, and all the people in Egypt to serve Pharaoh, apart from Joseph. With all those important events and the dramatic rescue of Egypt from starvation and the transfer of all the land of Egypt, all the possessions, all the people of Egypt to Pharaoh. And all this was done by one person, Joseph. How could there be a king that knew not Joseph? How was that possible? You could argue that Joseph was the most important person in all of Egypt's history. And the Egyptians were famous for recording their history. Murals, we still look at them today, of their recorded history. Hieroglyphic language of their recorded history. And what Joseph did in saving Egypt from starvation and the whole country from annihilation and overrunning by their enemies was the most important part of Egypt's histories. So how could there be a king which knew not Joseph? You know, when Anwar Sadat came to Israel to meet Menachem Begin during the peace process, he said, he told Menachem Begin, he told the people of Israel that there is no record in Egyptian history of Joseph or the Jewish people ever having been in Egypt. When Anwar Sadat gave an interview to Walter Cronkite in the 1970s, and they sat in Anwar Sadat's summer house in front of the Great Pyramids. And there on the patio, when Walter Cronkite asked Anwar Sadat, what do you think about the fact that the pyramids were built by slave labor? Anwar Sadat said, there is no record of that in Egyptian history. I don't believe it because there's no record. There are, interesting, a large gap in recorded Egyptian history, period of time in which there's a gap in the Egyptian history. Here's the question. Why is there no record of Jewish people having been in Egypt? And how is it that there could be a king that arose in Egypt that knew not Joseph? There's only one explanation. There's only one explanation. The history of Joseph in Egypt being as it is a very embarrassing history for the Egyptian people. Why? The history 
of the Egyptian pharaoh making a non-Egyptian Hebrew who was a, of a despised people, the most powerful man in Egypt, that's embarrassing for the Egyptian people. The history of all the Egyptian people being forced to bow down to Joseph, one of the despised Jewish people, that's an embarrassing part of Egyptian history. The history of all the Egyptian people not being able to lift a hand, not being able to lift a foot without the permission of a certain Hebrew named Joseph, that's an embarrassing part of Egyptian history for the Egyptian people. Many pharaohs had reigned and died until this pharaoh arose that knew not Joseph. Before this pharaoh who knew not Joseph, it was undoubtedly decided by some pharaoh to expunge, to erase, to take away this embarrassing part of Egyptian history about being ruled by a non-Egyptian despised Hebrew. And so effective was this expungement or this removal of this period of history and this gap now in Egyptian history that now, as we read in Exodus 1, there could actually be a king that arose, a pharaoh that arose, a new king that arose that knew not Joseph. He knew nothing about how a Hebrew had saved his country. He knew nothing about the history of Joseph's people or the history of the Hebrew people in his land of Egypt. And that's why we have archaeologists today who find these mysterious gaps in Egyptian recorded history. And you know, if you tell a lie long enough, it's accepted as truth. That's very similar today to Ahmadinejad's statements in Iran that the Holocaust never occurred. In Iran today, that part of the Jewish history of the Holocaust has been expunged from history books. It's been removed. It's been erased. This happens today. It's called historical revisionism. It's called rewriting history. In Lithuania, where my people come from, before the Nazis invaded in uh, Lithuania, about 25% of the population in Lithuania was Jewish, including my ancestors. And the majority of the Jewish population was killed. History tells us the majority of the 25% of the Jewish population in Lithuania was killed by Lithuanians. This is an inconvenient truth, not by the Nazis, but by Lithuanians. So the textbooks in Lithuania have omitted this history. They've rewritten it and said that the Nazis killed the Jewish people. This is rewriting history. Now, what was the consequence of this king that arose that knew not Joseph? Keep this in mind, the most important thing about this king is that we're told that he knew not Joseph. This was the new king that arose that knew not Joseph. So color this king, the king that knew not Joseph. Put a title on him, the king that knew not Joseph. And so in verse 8, we have the title, the king that knew not Joseph. The next question is, what's the consequence of that? First thing we read that this new king did, who knew not Joseph, is in verses 9 and 10. And it reads like this. And he said unto his people, Behold, 
the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. See the pattern? He's the king that knew not Joseph, and so he becomes the persecutor of the people of Joseph, the Jewish people. There is a tie between that phrase, the king that knew not Joseph, and the subsequent persecution, hatred of the Jewish people. And it's seen also a little bit later on, because we read about in Exodus 5, when Moses goes in to Pharaoh. And in Exodus 5, verses 1 and 2, it reads like this. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. See, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Now, Pharaoh, when he hears this message from Moses, he hears two things loud and clear, very distinctly. What are they? The Lord God of Israel. That's the first thing he hears. And the second thing he hears is, my people. Now, how does Pharaoh reply? He replies to Moses to the first statement, which was the Lord God of Israel. And he says, who is the Lord? I know not the Lord. So he says, I don't know him. Then as a consequence of not knowing him, Pharaoh says, goes on to say, neither will I let Israel go. Neither will I let his people go. I don't know him, and I'm not going to let his people go. Now, we look at verses in Exodus 1, 8 through 10, and it's very revealing as we read it like this. A new king arose over Egypt, which knew not Joseph, and he said unto the people, Behold, the people are uh, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them. And we remember from Exodus 5, 2, I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. What do those statements all reveal? They reveal that the source of anti-Semitism or hatred of the Jewish people, is this problem of they knew not. There arose a new king which knew not, Joseph. The Pharaoh said, I know not the Lord. The source of anti-Semitism is, I know not the Lord. Show me a person who really loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll show you a person who loves the Jewish people. There's one chapter in Paul's writings where Paul comes into a deep, deep nearness to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes into this deep, deep nearness or closeness to the knowledge of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people. And that's Romans chapter 8. And in the final verses of that Romans chapter 8, Paul says in Romans 8, 35 through 39, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, with these words, has just risen to the pinnacle, to the height of knowing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then do you know what he wrote right after those words? Right with that thought, crystal clear in his mind. We overlook what he wrote because there's an artificial chapter break there, chapter 8, chapter 9. That wasn't in the original. So when you read it all together, let's just... just Read it together. Let's read it together. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ from my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What's just happened? Paul has gone from the height of knowing the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you would expect the very next thing that Paul is going to say was going to be how happy he is. But instead, Paul goes from talking about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ into saying that he has a great heaviness, a great continual sorrow in his heart. In fact, he's so heavy, he's so sorrowful that he say, you know what, I'm ready to be cursed from God, I'm ready to be forever be cast into hell. If the Jewish people, my people, if Israel, if they could just be saved, what's this showing us? It's showing us that to know the Lord Jesus Christ is to love the Jewish people. The source of anti-Semitism is not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Tom, that was a powerful and provocative statement that you mentioned there that not everyone will agree with. And we only have to think of the history of anti-Semitism to bring up disturbing images of horrible acts done in the name of religion. So how is it that anti-Semitism stems from not knowing who the Lord Jesus Christ is? You know, there's a verse that's very, very uh, disturbing also, and it's in Matthew seven twenty one, where the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about those who come to the end of their lives and go through a, a, a list of all the things that they've done for him, and after they've done that, he makes this statement, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And then He also says to those who say, Lord, Lord, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a shocking and a disturbing thought that so many people will come to the Lord Jesus Christ and call him Lord and say, Lord, Lord, and then they'll go through all that they've done. And maybe they'll even say, Lord, Lord, we killed these many Jews. Lord, Lord, we were part of the group that, 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 uh, that persecuted those who who were your enemies. And he will say to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And he'll say, I never knew you. I did not know you. In other words, the problem 
with them and with their their self-deception into thinking that they were going to go right into heaven when in fact they went straight down to hell was the fact that they didn't know him and even more serious than that he says he didn't know them And so when you think about that, there he'll stand, the king of the Jews, which a title he never repudiated. There he'll stand, the defender of the Jewish people. There he'll stand, the savior of the Jewish people, because as it says, he was there to deliver his people from their sins. He'll stand as the one who, as it says in Acts, was exalted to the right hand of God for to give repentance to Israel. There he'll stand there like that, and there will be those who will think that because they killed, because they persecuted, because they hated those that hated him, which were his own people, the Jewish people, that therefore they will receive a reward. It reminds us so much in the history of David when the people came and they said, you know, we hated Saul, we killed Saul, uh, we did bad against him, and he said, and you thought that would bring a reward, and it'll be just like that. The problem is they didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, and therefore that's the root of anti-Semitism. Thank you for joining us today. As you've heard Tom Cantor speak about in previous messages, Israel Restoration Ministries is looking for full-time couriers to take the gospel to the Jewish people in the Southern California area such as Los Angeles, San Diego, San Bernardino, and Riverside in Orange County. If you're interested in going door-to-door to to reach lost Jewish people, please contact us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. If you'd like any Tom Cantor resources, materials, or books, call us at 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow.